Good morning, Southern Hills. I wish we could be together uh, in the same room, but here we are uh, for a second week gathering together online. And while I am so thankful for the technology that allows us to do that, I look forward to the day uh, when we can close that distance and be together again. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we, we gather together in our hearts and we gather around your word And as we focus on the Gospel of Luke this morning, as we continue to journey through the story of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, God, we pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would speak to each one of us, that you would help us feel connected to you and to one another as we try to hear your voice, as we try to answer your call. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. As a kid, there were only two things that I really knew about the guy. He was short, and he climbed a tree. In fact, there was this song that I used to sing all the time in Sunday school, and it went something like this. For the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree, said, that yeah, get down from there, I'm going to your house today, I'm going to your house today, I'm going to your house today. Man, I gotta tell you, that, that really takes me back. That song, it doesn't exactly have the deepest lyrics, I know, but they, they get the job done. They tell the story. And they highlight two facts that, while they're not the most important facts of the story, that Zacchaeus was a wee little man and that he climbed a sycamore tree, they are, I think, the two primary facts that children are drawn to. In fact, I, I think it's because children understand what Zacchaeus is going through. They're used to being shorter than just about everyone else around them, and they're used to looking for any reason to climb a tree. And when we find something in scripture that we understand, that we relate to, we listen to that story differently. We, we connect with it on a deeper level, I think. And so as a kid, I loved this story of Zacchaeus because I related to him. And I, and I pulled for him. And, and even now, all these years later, I still find myself drawn to the story of Zacchaeus and Jesus. And it's not because I, I relate to being shorter than everybody else like I used to when I was younger. It has more to do with the fact that, that Zacchaeus is a spiritual underdog. And I always love to pull for underdogs. Uh, he, he's got the, the deck stacked against him, and Luke wants us to know that from the very beginning. And he tells us that Zacchaeus is a guy who, at least in his community, in his neighborhood, uh, nobody would have wanted to be around him. He was a tax collector. And not just a tax collector, but Luke tells us that he was the chief tax collector in Jericho. Uh, which means he wasn't just a part of the most corrupt industry in town, he ran it. Now, tax collectors in ancient Israel, they were despised for a very simple reason. They were allowed to steal from their neighbors, to lie to their neighbors, and nothing was going to happen to them. They were never going to be punished by the the Roman Empire because the Roman Empire desperately needed tax agents like Zacchaeus and his co-workers in order to pay the bills. And so they gave them free reign to charge whatever they wanted and call it tax. So if Rome told Zacchaeus, 
look, you've got to charge this person $100 in tax. He was free to go to that person's home to say to them directly, look, your tax bill's not $100, it's $200. And, and both he and they would know that he was simply making up whatever rate of profit he wanted to experience in that given day, and there was nothing they could do about it. Uh, they had to go along with it because the, the larger your tax bill got and the less you were paying it, everybody knew that there was a prison cell waiting with your name on it. And so as, as you would expect, nobody ever wanted someone like Zacchaeus in their life. Nobody wanted them around. Nobody wanted to see them walking down the street. They were outcasts. And, and yet Jesus, in his ministry, he has this knack for attracting people like Zacchaeus tax collectors and and sinners, as they were called, people who nobody else wanted around. Jesus wanted them around. He he not only attracted them, he accepted them. He loved them, and and he didn't leave them there. Jesus had this amazing ability to love people like Zacchaeus into living a better way of life, but he didn't criticize them into a new way of feeling worse about themselves. He had patience with them. He wanted to connect with them. He wanted to be there for them. And so news about someone like that spreads. When, when, when there's this new young rabbi who's accepting the unacceptable, loving the unlovable, someone like Zacchaeus is going to hear stories about someone like Jesus. And that's exactly what happens. He, he hears about Christ and he starts to wonder if maybe Jesus might be able to help him with some of the struggles that he has in his life that he just doesn't know what to do with. Now, we have to make some educated guesses about what's going on in Zacchaeus' heart and soul as he considers what's he going to do when Jesus maybe comes and visits his hometown, Jericho. But I think we can make some of those educated guesses because if he's open to listening to Jesus, if he's being drawn to this, this rabbi, this teacher, then he knows that he's got something to learn. Maybe he knows he's got a whole lot to learn. You know, maybe Zacchaeus is one of those people who, for whatever reason, had reached a place where he was pretty sure God didn't want to have a relationship with someone like him. And so maybe he was afraid God not having a relationship with him, wouldn't, wouldn't want to bless him, wouldn't want to give him a good life, so he was on his own. He was going to have to look out for himself. He was going to have to build a fortune so that he could buy the kind of life that he wanted, a life where he could afford to have whatever, he, whatever is our desired. And yet he's reached a place in his life, in his career, where he's at the top of his profession, and he's got to have a sense that even though he can afford to buy anything he wants— He can't actually buy what he wants most, the life of meaning and purpose and connection. And while he wants a different kind of life, he probably doesn't have any real sense of how to get there. It's incredibly difficult when you come to a place where you want to change your life to know where to start. And so Jesus might be his shot, right? Jesus might be the one who can help guide him, lead him, from his current empty way of life to a life of meaning and purpose and connection. And so Zacchaeus, he makes this choice that he's got to find a way to encounter Jesus. But Zacchaeus is far from the only person in Jericho who wants that kind of encounter. So when Jesus does show up, the streets begin to fill up with all kinds of different people who just want a glimpse of Christ, who want to hear Jesus' words about God, God's heart, what God wants for them, how much God loves them and cares for them and wants to bless them. Everybody wants to hear that kind of message. And because Zacchaeus is short, 
Because this crowd's pressing in, he realizes he may not get to see Jesus. Jesus may not see him, and he's got to do something, so he, he finds a way to get that height advantage that he doesn't have naturally. He climbs this tree, and he waits to see what's going to happen when Jesus passes by. And that's where we're going to open up the Gospel of Luke together. So in your Bible, find Luke chapter 19. We'll start reading together in verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what is lost." Now, as we listen to this story unfold here in Luke chapter 19, there are echoes of other things that have already taken place in the Gospel of Luke earlier. So so we go back to Luke chapter 5, and there's this other tax collector by the name of Levi who has a similar encounter with Jesus, where they walk up to one another on the road, and Levi has a deep sense that he needs a different kind of life, and he knows that Jesus might be the key, and so he invites Jesus over to share a meal with him. Now, in ancient Israel, according to their faith, you didn't just share a meal with someone, you shared life with them. You were relating to them in an intimate way that, that, that really it meant that you had to make sure that anybody that you shared that kind of time with believed the same kinds of things you did, cared about the same kind of things you cared about. And Jesus, when Levi invites him over, even though Levi's a tax collector and a sinner, according to everybody in the community, Jesus says, yeah, I want to spend time with you. I want to sit at your table. I want to relate to you. I want to get to know you. When that happens, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they see that moment and they, they pass judgment on Jesus, and they shake their heads and say, why, why would he go and spend time, share life with a sinner? And here, in Luke 19, the crowd says the same exact thing about Zacchaeus. In Luke 15, Jesus tells three stories about things that are lost. A lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son. All of them go missing, and all of them are, are precious and valuable, but they're lost. And here, Jesus uses that same word, lost, as he talks about Zacchaeus. And then just last week, we together looked at a story that takes place in Luke 18, just a chapter earlier, where this rich ruler comes to Jesus, and he's got great wealth. And because of that wealth, he has standing and reputation in the community. And he says to Jesus, look, what do I've got to do to be a part of your kingdom, an important part of your kingdom? And Jesus says, well, you know what, you, you, you need to give away all of that wealth so that when you come to me, you're not trying to convince me of all that you can offer me except for your heart, except for you. All I want is you. So get rid of the rest of it. And that rich ruler can't bring himself to do it because his wealth isn't just something he has. His wealth defines who he is. And so he leaves sad in his heart because he just can't do what Jesus is asking. So in Luke... As we try to hold the full sweep of the story in our hearts, we realize you've got tax collectors that people can't believe Jesus would spend time with. You've got lost folks. You've got rich folks. 
all of them are at various disadvantages when it comes to being a part of Jesus' upside-down kingdom. Tax collectors, lost people, rich folks. Zacchaeus is all three. He's three for three, as in three strikes and you're out. Luke wants us to notice. We need to understand what's at stake when Jesus comes walking down that street in Jericho and he sees Zacchaeus up in that tree. Zacchaeus, he's, he's got every disadvantage you can imagine when it comes to being a part of the kingdom of God. He's not just a spiritual underdog. He, he doesn't just have a deck stacked against him. He's got three decks stacked against him. He is an outcast of outcasts. According to the wisdom of the world, he shouldn't find a way into the kingdom. He shouldn't be able to. And yet, as Jesus has told us before and promises us still, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. You simply can't be so far from God's heart that you're beyond God's reach. It's true for Zacchaeus. It's true for all of us. Nothing is impossible with God. Unlike the, the rich ruler in Luke 18, who just wasn't able to untangle his heart from his fortune so that he could follow Jesus, Zacchaeus responds entirely differently because he is ready to follow Jesus. Without being asked, he gladly offers to pay back anyone he's cheated four times over. And I can assure you, as a chief tax collector, he's cheated just about everybody who's listening to him speak. And so they're going to hold him to this. He says, I'm going to pay them back four times over of anything I've taken from them. And with what I have left over, I'm going to give half of it away to take care of people who, who need help. For Luke, it's this amazing shift that we get to witness that helps us understand that when Jesus says, today salvation has come, today this man is being saved, we actually have visible proof of it in the way Zacchaeus is behaving. For Luke, Zacchaeus's unexpected, spontaneous generosity is the outward proof to know that an inward transformation is taking place in this very moment. Zacchaeus' radical shift from a life marked by greed to a life that's defined by generosity, it reminds us of a deep truth, and it's this. Gradual personal transformation is how God changes most of us most of the time. But moments of immediate personal transformation are always possible with God's help. And not just for Zacchaeus, but for every single one of us. Early in my time in ministry, a guy that I'll call Tom, he ended up walking into our church building, and he didn't know any of us. In fact, as I got to know Tom and we visited about it, he, he really, up until that moment, hadn't ever gone into a church building unless it was for a funeral or a wedding. But on this particular Sunday morning, he felt like something was telling him as he drove past our church to pull into the parking lot and go inside. He sat through the worship service, and then after uh, things were over, he came up to me and he admitted that he just really didn't know what he was doing there. And he certainly didn't understand just about anything that had just taken place. But he said, you know, I've, I've reached a place in my life where I don't know what I'm doing. I, I don't know where I'm going. And I know that what I've been doing isn't working. I've, I've lived my life for myself and myself alone for as long as I can remember. And it's just, it hasn't taken me where I hoped it would. I, I, don't, I don't have much of a reason to get up in the morning. And, and I, don't, I don't know what to do next. I don't even know if I believe in God, but I know that I want to. 
and, and I think God's the, the, only, the only one that could help me. And I told Tom, well, you know what? That's, that's a great place to start. Why don't, why don't you come back and, and we can have this, this journey together, this conversation together? And, and Tom said, I will come back. And he, he was a man of his word. He was back the next Sunday and the Sunday after that and the Sunday after that. He, he came early. He stayed late. He had question after question about the Bible and Jesus and the Christian life. And he kept talking about the fact that, that he'd never heard anything like this, that it was all brand new to him. And yet, and yet as much as he still knew he, he had to learn, he was certain that this was where he needed to be. He was, he was certain that this was the direction he needed to go. And I'll never forget the, the afternoon I was at the church office when, when Tom called me and he said, man, I, I got to make a commitment. I, I got to be all in here, Jared. I, I got to stop messing around. I, I got to stop playing games. I need, I need to, to commit the rest of my life to following Jesus because it's the only way I'm going to have the kind of life that God promises and, and so we both went over to the, the church building, the sanctuary. Nobody else was there. And I remember the moment I was baptizing Tom, and I, I remember in my heart I was secretly worrying. I, I, I was privately wondering. I was filled with this sharp sense of anxiety that, that Tom meant well, but he didn't really fully understand yet how much his life was going to have to change from, from the way he'd been living for years now. And Tom wasn't a young man. He'd lived most of his life for himself, as he'd said, for himself and himself alone. And now he was saying he was going to live his life for the sake of other people. And so I was worried the moment I put him in the water. I thought, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if this change is actually going to take place the way Tom hopes it will. Well, I got to tell you, I was worried for nothing. Because when Tom came up out of that water, he was all in. He was sold out, and he wasn't looking back. He, he wasn't playing games. He was serious. He wanted to be who God called him to be in Jesus. He wanted to be who God promised he could be through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. He wanted to be different. And he was. Now, don't get me wrong, Tom wasn't perfect. He still slipped up from time to time. He still made mistakes every once in a while, but Tom was undoubtedly different. The core of who he was, deep in his heart, had changed completely all at once in the blink of an eye. He simply wasn't the man he had been for most of his life. He was not the person he had been before. He held on to a brighter hope. He had a better reason to get up in the morning. There was no doubt about it. He was new. And as I think back on watching that amazing transformation take place, I'm convinced that it wasn't just Tom deciding to to change. It was God helping Tom change that core, that central piece of who he was, his identity. God's grace not only embraces us, God's grace constantly invites us to be someone we could never be on our own. And that's not just true for Tom. It's not just true for Zacchaeus. It's true for every single one of us. And every time that kind of transformation takes place, it's a miracle. Now, now look, I understand as we look back on our own spiritual journeys, there's probably a voice inside most of it that says, yeah, but look, the, the truth is God usually changes many things about us gradually over time. That that's how change takes place for most of us. 
And, and I agree, that has been the majority of my own experience, this gradual transformation, day by day, decision by decision, moment by moment. I know it's true, but it's also just as true that there can be moments for every single one of us, moments when God causes us to change some, some really vital, important parts of who we are in the blink of an eye. Because God's grace doesn't just embrace us. God's grace is always inviting us to be someone we could never be on our own. And not just someday far off in the future, but now, today, in this moment. Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Today. Tom suddenly realized that his old way of life wasn't leading him to meaning or purpose or connection. Zacchaeus suddenly understood that true life can't be stolen or bought. It can only be freely found in Jesus. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, both Tom and Zacchaeus were changed for good. They weren't perfect, but they were different. They were new. And all of us have pieces in our hearts and souls that I think even after committing to follow Jesus, we know are still kind of lost. And, and I don't mean the going to hell lost. I mean the kind of faltering, stumbling, uh, can't quite get our acts together kind of lost. And it's easy for us to decide that we're just never going to win that battle. We're never going to change. So, so we keep giving ourselves excuses to give in to greed and lust and anger and, and grudge holding and dishonesty. We, we give in to our addictions at times, to, to dangerous, destructive behaviors or substances. We give in, uh, in in a different way to our addictions, to affirmation and, and a need for ongoing, unmitigated success, one win after the other. We keep giving in because we've tried to change before. We've, we've tried to start over. We've tried to turn over a new leaf a, a hundred times. And nothing that we've tried on our own has really worked. So we hide our shame in secret. We, we beat ourselves up when no one else is around. We don't just give in, brothers and sisters. We, we give up. We settle. But then maybe on a day like today, we... We don't just settle, we stumble. We stumble onto a truth that maybe we've forgotten. And maybe we stumble across that truth again when we see a short little guy try to scramble up the side of a sycamore tree because he desperately knows that he needs to see Jesus and he needs Jesus to see him and he doesn't care what anybody else thinks. He doesn't care if anyone makes fun of him. He just needs to stop being lost so he can start being found. You know, when Jesus offers to, to spend time at Zacchaeus' house that day, when, when he politely insists that they're going to share life together, Zacchaeus has this spontaneous response, right? It's a, it's a spiritual reflex in that moment. I don't think it's some sort of strategy or, or calculated decision. It's who he's already becoming in the light of the grace of Jesus that's been freely given to him. Zacchaeus wants to be someone who freely gives to help take care of other people. He's not perfect, but he's different. He's new. He's a new man living a new life. He's not playing games, and he's not looking back. He's all in. He's sold out. He's not who he was, and he'll never be that man again. And the same can be true for me. The, the same can be true for you. Whatever part of your life is, is still lost, whatever part of your soul still hasn't managed to find its way back home, whatever part of you wants to give up and, and settle for the sin struggles you've always had and you always 
will have, or at least that's what you tell yourself. I want you to let me speak into that regret and into that weariness this morning. And and I want you to hear these words. Whatever parts of your life, your, your heart, your soul, are still lost, are still wandering, whatever part of you still hasn't come home, it doesn't have to stay that way. You don't have to stay that way. Not anymore. Because Jesus is with us. Jesus is for us. And Jesus doesn't wait for some day in the far off future to help us stop being lost and start being found. It's always this day. It's always today that salvation is breaking into our lives in new ways and unexpected ways and changing us, transforming us in the blink of an eye. I know for the most part, most of the time, we feel like the, the way we change in this life is gradual. But this story reminds us that we can be changed in an instant, in a moment. Not because we, we make a decision. It, it's not about determination. It, it doesn't just take wanting it. It takes a savior. And the good news is, brothers and sisters, we have one. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what's lost in every single one of us. To seek and save what's lost in every single one of us. And the parts of us that still haven't found their way home, they will. They will. We're going to sing a song together now, and as we do, I hope that you can let the truth of this message find a home in your heart. Find a place where where you can hold it and think about it, reflect on it. What about you needs to transform? What about you needs to change? Give that part of who you are over to Christ and see the miracle he can do.